The Lifestylist, episode 168, featuring Darren O'Lean. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I'd like to tell you about today's sponsor, Tonic Wellness Boutique up on Beverly, just a few short blocks from my house. Now, you know, I've been living in LA for 30 years. So if you're going to ask anyone on where the hot spots are when it comes to health and wellness, beauty, biohacking, I might just be the guy. So you can go to tonicboutique.com and learn all about the services they offer. They're located in the middle of LA, smack dab in the middle between Beverly Center and The Grove. And they offer a combination of hot and cold therapies. So you can go in there and do your infrared clear light saunas. You can do full body cryo or something that's really cool, which is the localized cryo. You can do a 10 minute treatment that boosts production of collagen and blood circulation. This is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and encourages skin cell rejuvenation. So adding a healthy glow. So not just like a biohacking, like get ripped, feel good, but the Tonic Boutique is really also about looking good. So that's why they're so popular with the models and actresses. You know what I'm saying? Los Angeles is not only about feeling good and being into health and wellness, but it's about looking good. And listen, man, you know, I'm not ashamed to say I don't mind going in there and getting a little cryo. I really like the localized cryo, not just for beauty on the face and neck and all of that stuff, but if you've got an injury, like if you have a bum knee or a neck, I always get it done on my lower back. So my routine there is like, I'll do a full body cryo, I'll do some localized cryo, and then I'll get in one of their beautiful clear light saunas and sweat it out, do the whole hot and cold thing. It's just fantastic. So do yourself a favor, for real, head over to Tonic Wellness Boutique on Beverly. You can find them at tonicwellnessboutique.com. Really cool people. They're going to be happy to hear that you found them through the Lifestylist podcast and probably give you a little extra special treatment. So check them out ASAP. A huge part of my health strategy is taking medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And one of my favorite ways to take them is by making herbal elixirs. That's really tasty, hot and cold drinks. It's much cooler to take them that way than taking a bunch of pills. Like who can remember to do that? Well, I want to let you know about my friends from Four Sigmatic. These guys make the most potent, high quality and delicious herbal blends that are really easy to take. You can make a cold or hot herbal elixir drink. Like what I like to do is either add them to my bulletproof coffee or if I don't want to have caffeine, I'll just make myself a Four Sigmatic herbal elixir with something like cordyceps, lion's mane, um, chaga mushrooms, reishi mushrooms, ashwagandha, all the good stuff, all the stuff that you can really feel working is available at Four Sigmatic. So what I'd like you to do is go to foursigmatic.com and check it out. They have an amazing suite of products. And like anything that I promote, this is stuff that I use every day myself. I love this stuff. I'm super addicted to it, which is why I want to tell you about it. So go to foursigmatic.com 
But even better, when you're there, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 15% off your order, which is pretty sweet. So enter THELIFESTYLIST and save 15% at foursigmatic.com. The sound that's vibrating your eardrums right about now is the voice of yours truly. I'm Luke Story, host of the Lifestylist Podcast, and we are here today once again to enhance your lifestyle with the greatest discoveries in the world. So we're up to episode 168 here on this 15th day of October 2018, at least as I sit and record this the episode, of course, will come out tomorrow on the 16th. But here I am creeping up on 200 And I've got a goal this year, and I thought if you're a regular listener to the show, or even if you're new to the show and you like this episode or any of the others that you discover, that you could share it with a friend, because I am setting the goal to get to 2 million downloads by the end of the year. So I've got a couple months right now, which is totally doable, by the way, and I think I can do it with your help. Right now, I'm at 1.8 million, so we're close but I really want to push that line and, uh, and get it even further than that. So what you can do to help if you're so kind and so willing is just to screen grab this, post it on your Instagram stories or Facebook or click on the bottom right of your player right now as I'm talking and click share, copy that link, text it to a friend or two, email it to a friend or two that might enjoy the topics that we cover on this show. It'd be a huge help to help me hit that goal of 2 million downloads, which sounds like a lot, but in the world of you know, the top podcasters in the world that are getting a couple million a month, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a lot to, uh, to ask for. I'm very grateful for what I've achieved in two years, but I really want to ramp this thing up because I'm enjoying uh, the process of creating this podcast. And I just got you know, uh, back from this event called Mercado Sagrado in, uh, in, in Malibu, or happens to be very close to where I recorded this episode with our guest, Darren Olin. And uh, I mean, just an amazing, amazing weekend. And I met so many listeners of the show who you know, came up to me and just eye to eye, looked to my eye and said, dude, I've learned so much. The things you're doing on your podcast are benefiting my life so much. Uh, and that makes all of the hard work <laughs> that goes into creating um, you know, a high quality, hopefully, podcast worth it. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's just amazing to be able to have an impact on people's lives. And I want to continue to do that and ramp that up. So please help me share the show if you're so willing. So our guest, Darren Olin, is an exotic superfoods expert. He's a supplement formulator and environmental activist who travels the planet, I'm talking everywhere, to discover new and underutilized medicinal plants. He's also the founder of Superlife, and the author of Super Life, The Five Forces That Will Make You Healthy, Fit, and Eternally Awesome. And uh, Darren is just, he's just, he's one of these guys. I mean, he's a huge hulk of a dude, but just one of these gentle giants, you know, very conscious, kind, amazing guy. But he's also a force to be reckoned with. And uh, his adventures around the world are just insane. And so I was really excited to sit down with him at his hunting lodge out in the remote uh hills of Malibu and really capture the essence of who he is and what he does and what his mission is. So this is going to be a great one. You definitely want to listen through to the end. Before I jump into the details of the interview, I'd like to invite you to a couple events. Let's party. I've got Whitma Live in New York City on October 25th. Then I've got a special workshop I'm presenting at Rama Institute in New York City on October 27th. And then I'll be back in LA in December to... um, do a presentation at Neil Strauss's Biohacking Intensive for the Society. That's December 14th and 16th. 
So I've got a couple cool things coming up. And I'd also like to invite you to follow me on Instagram. I've been having a really good time um, getting to know people, you know, virtually at least that listen to the show on Instagram. I do a lot of posting on there. Uh, I think of uh, educational and entertaining things on my stories. And I run a lot of Instagram lives. You might not know this, but um, not only do I post, I would say 98% of these podcasts in a video format on my YouTube channel, by the way, a lot of people don't realize that you can actually watch these, but, uh, I do, I'd say a hundred percent of the time. I also live stream the behind the scenes of each and every interview, uh, in my Facebook group, the lifestylist podcast, Facebook group, and also on Instagram. So if you're someone that knows there's an exciting guest coming up, or you just want to see what the process looks like behind the scenes, um, and all its um, unedited sloppy glory <laughs> before you guys hear the finished product here, please follow me on Instagram. And my Instagram is at Luke story. However, if you want some uh, questions answered, that would be done in the Facebook group, which is the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. It's a private group. You can request to join and you can ask me and all the other, I think 3000 members at this point, uh, questions uh, that are specific. A lot of people will DM me questions. You know, Someone today, I just got a message uh, saying, Hey, um, I listened to you and Shaman Durek. You talked about reincarnation. I'd love to know more about your theories on that and how it relates to Christianity because I'm Christian and that doesn't really fit into my paradigm, but I would like it to. I can't really answer that in a direct message on Instagram. And then also there's the issue that, that only, only that one person is going to get the benefit of that conversation. In the Facebook group, I might chime in, some of the other members chime in, and we, we really support each other and, um, and answer questions. So if you just want to have fun and screw around, we'll do that on Instagram. If you want more personal interaction, that's going to happen in the Facebook group. So there you go. You can also join my newsletter by texting the word, one word, all lowercase, lifestylist. Text the word lifestylist to 44222 on any United States-based phone and you will be added to my newsletter. And uh, from that, you will get invites to events. You will get the show notes from each and every podcast. So text the word lifestylist to 44222. If you're out of the US, you can just go to lukestory.com forward slash lifestylist. Okay. So here's what we talk about in the episode, how Darren's body called him to use plants as medicine, the injury that changed the course of Darren's life. What's wrong with the commercial wellness industry? Why all superfoods and supplements available in stores are not created equal. And some of the dirty little secrets of that side of the industry. Discovering and resurrecting the use of ancient superfoods. Helping people and areas around the world become more sustainable through environmental activism. Darren's most exciting ethnobotanist adventures in places like Bhutan, Brazil, and Peru. Why Moringa is one of the most powerful, all-inclusive plants on the planet and why most Moringa on the market is whack. How creating a sustainable economic engine can help provide higher quality superfoods and support indigenous people. The downside of regulatory certifications such as organic, etc., creating more transparency in the supply chain of our food supply. The scariest thing that's ever happened to Darren on his superfood hunting excursions around the world, the philosophical realizations Darren has been gifted by the people he's met in his travels, and then how Darren is bringing his unique nuts called barucas to the West. And if you want to try them out, which I'm guessing by the end of the interview, you're going to want to, uh, Darren hooked up a little discount for us. So you can go to barucas.com forward slash Luke. That's B-A-R-U-K-A-S.com forward slash Luke. And if you enter the code Luke, 
at checkout, you'll save 15%. So you're going to learn in this episode what Baruka nuts are and why I'm freaking obsessed with them as someone who doesn't really uh, eat peanuts, although I would love to be able to. So that's what we get down with in this here episode with my guest, Darren Olean. And it brings me great pleasure to share this gentleman and his message with you. So here we are, Darren. We're at your place. Haven't seen you since we uh, shared a swim in Barton Springs in Austin, Texas. We almost recorded at Paleo FX, but you were running your booth. I was running my mouth around the property, (laughs) recording all kinds of stuff. So I'm really glad that that didn't happen because now we're in this amazing old hunting lodge that you use as a home in the middle of the Santa Monica Mountains. It's just a fantastic room. Yeah. So those of our listeners that are also watchers looking at YouTube, they can see a little bit of this epic fireplace behind us. I wish you guys could see more. We'd have to have a film crew to do that. Those of you listening, just imagine, it's like a movie set for... I'm trying to think of a like Westworld or something. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It's got this really old timey vibe. What twenty foot ceilings, exposed wood everywhere. The second I walked in here, there was just this stillness. Yeah. I mean, you got a little bit of a Wi Fi signal going. <laughs> I mean, cell phones barely work. I mean, we're in the middle of a canyon here. So, how did this property come about? Just to start with, yeah. So I was actively looking for the last ten years, really, uh, and I was in and out of some escrows like, ah, uh, it's okay. And no, it doesn't quite feel right. And so then I started looking at land and like, okay, maybe build. And then you have coastal commission, you have all of this stuff. And so then I put my parameters on Zillow, but I had been moving my financials around. So I was active, like banks had the information. And so when I saw this pop up, A, I didn't think it was real. So I had my realist, realtors going, you know, X amount of dollars, 50 acres, seven minutes from PCH uh, in Malibu. Like, what? How, how, how does this place have a, have a home, 50 acres, and this close to, to Malibu? And the 101, and I don't get it. So we showed up, day two on the market. We ran around the property. I was kind of waiting for like the big reason. Why? Yeah, they're like, uh, um, there's mold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it come to find out that a trust had this property since the early 90s. And really no one's ever lived in it. And before that, people sporadically lived in it. So no one's really lived in this property kind of since it was bought or created. And so... I and I told you earlier, like I we did the thing, we went around, we looked at everything, and I just finally put my hand on the ground uh, outside, and I just felt this kind of instant connection to it, um, and this knowing. And so I just said to myself, I'm going to do everything I can in this physical reality to get it because I feel this. It's got to be something a lot greater than me to kick me out of this thing. So I put in an offer, got it locked up, and then in escrow, and then this line of people showed up after with cash and way over price and wanted to buy it. And But I had snapped it up and spent a lot of time with the inspectors and everything. And long story short, uh, I got it two years ago. So, wow. Yeah. And 
<laughs> the thing that comes to mind uh, for me when I'm out in a house like this, and I grew up in the in the woods in the country, mm. you know. But when I get out here, I swear I think I have uh, PTSD from watching Friday the Thirteenth and shit when I was a kid. I picture <laughs> myself in here alone. I would be walking around with a firearm on me inside the house at night. I would be so fucking scared, you know. Yeah. You have a huge dog. Your dog Chaga, big yeah. German Shepherd. That's that, there's some security in that, yeah. maybe. But do you ever get like? Do you ever get spooked out here if you're by yourself at all? Well, it, it's definitely active, right? The house makes noises. It's old. It creaks. There's definitely a wildlife activation. You know, so mountain lions running and see, running into and seeing a mountain lion is almost as, as infrequent as seeing a, a big-sized shark in the ocean. And in two years... I've ran into the mountain lion three times, a female, a cub, and a big male. And so I realized very quickly in huge owls, bobcats, deer, like I'm in it. This this isn't mine. Like I'm a part of this thing. And so I just kind of respectfully put that vibe out. I am nowhere... I'm not here more than I'm not here to dominate more than occupy the space like you in terms of the the animal vibe that I put out. So, you know, so far so good. But, you know, I walk with awareness. The chaga stays close. I have a machete and that's morning walks and evening walks all the time. So, you know, and I and I listen and you start picking up on the birds making different sounds and calling different things. And so I'm starting to get the rhythm of the property. And so I can tell, you know, the difference between the birds calling because we showed up and calling because something else is around. And so even my kind of spidey sense goes up. And of course, Chagas goes up and you can, you can kind of pick that up and respect what's going on and kind of get out of the area or whatever. But and I, I too grew up with the Friday the 13th and children in the corn and all that stuff. Oh, I forgot about that one. Oh, that one horrifying. scarred me. Yeah, horrifying. But, but that being said, the gift of what this property is, is just far surpasses any of that old stuff. It's just something that I realized that nature uh, and this place uh, just charges my battery so much and it helps me fuel for the things and the commitments that I'm doing on this planet. And, and it's a really great kind of synergy. So that's yeah, awesome. Well, yeah. thanks for having, having me. And uh, I'm glad we got to do it here. Yeah. Because this your have you done podcasts out here before? I've had some. Oh, yeah. God damn it. I'm yeah. not the first. I hate it when they <laughs> but say <we're> that. Definitely. <laughs> definitely the first here. <laughs> that's cool, man. Okay. So let's go back into your, your past a little bit. Uh, you know, we're going to be focusing today on all things superfood hunting, your travels, your discoveries, your um, most recent discovery. I'm definitely going to get into because I'm freaking addicted to it. <laughs> want to share that with people. But how did you first get into, you know, using plants as medicine and paying attention yeah. to your diet and, you know, yeah. what eventually led you into being an expert in this field? Yeah, well, it was, again, that um, that being born early, super early, three and a half pounds, uh, and that moment of that my father told me later was when he literally saw this little being choose to live. And it was a difference between, nah, I don't know if he's going to make it, to he turned the corner. And, um, and then at 13, 
doing my first cleanse, a uh, grapefruit cleanse that I saw in the Minneapolis Star and Tribune. Go figure. I'm a kid, small town kid from Minnesota, um, but something in me that uh, chose to do that. And I think for three days, I ate nothing but grapefruits. And it was the first time that cognitively and consciously I felt something from what I was doing by eating instead of drinking five to six bottles of Coke a day, like medicating myself through attention deficit, uh, medicating myself through a resting heart rate of 120 beats per minute. Like I, I was, I was a little tweaked, um, until my body kind of as a result of being premature. Yeah. Wow. It it sent me off on some, you know, they were like, Oh, he's having a hard time at school, a patch on his eyes. Like, why is he falling asleep? Like then his, then his heart rate's like 120, but he's waking up. Like we don't like, like it was, it was a little tricky. That's so it's hard to imagine that because now, and those of uh, those of the uh, listeners that are watching again on YouTube or on, on one of the live feeds, like you're a beast of a dude. You're the mm-hmm. definition of a mesomorph, just fucking ripped, strong, tan, good looking, healthy guy. Mm-hmm. So whatever you have figured out in your life that we're going to get to the bottom of has worked. Cause I'd never look at that guy and go, oh, poor guy. Yeah, he's probably born right. three and a half pounds, premature, yeah. didn't have a shot, you know? Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's, here's the drive. And that it, and it helped my father. So my father passed away in 2005, 30 years sober. Um, I've said this before, like this, this mark on my chin, it was, was from an event that happened when I was four with my dad. And that, that event got him to get sober the first time. And then he was sober, but he was really fucking pissed off. Is that when he knocked you into a bunch of beer bottles? That's right. Did I tell you that story? <laughs> ah, I know stuff. God damn. I do my research. Yeah. So I was a I was a, a bowling pin, or I was the ball, and the beer bottles were the pin. Other events happened too, and he got sober. So the point is that before he passed away, maybe a year before that, he he made the link for me because at 13, I did the cleanse. At 16, I picked up my first dumbbell. And when my dad said, I saw you throughout your life, the moment you decided to live, the the times in your life where you're struggling at sport and your body wasn't quite there and things. So he'd see all of a sudden this click in me that would just turn into working hard and working hard. And there was a point where I just kept making choices. And so by my father telling me that thing, I realized and I could finally own this kind of blue collar side of myself that, oh, that's it. I had a signaling at the very beginning that told me this body is really fragile. It may or may not work well. Good luck. Uh, And you're weak. And so, so fragile and weak, that was my impetus of, of starting life. And so every, oppor- every time where I perceived myself weak, I made that shift and go, okay, I'm going to do something about it. Okay, next, I'm going to do something about it. Okay, next, I'm going to do something about it. Like something opened up another door for me to see a possibility. So 13 cleanse, 16, picked up my dumb- first dumbbell, started working out, got got taken under the wing by some, my dad was an agricultural professor at the University of Minnesota. So I come from my family, my extended family, they're farmers, they're ranchers still to this day, South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, like 
my my grandmother came over on a covered wagon uh, and fed Indians, and she told us that story before she died. Like it, it, so, that whole culture was in me, and so to work hard was in my blood. Like to work hard, and so when I started building my body, I was like, okay, food, working out, and all of a sudden I went from five nine, one hundred thirty five pounds at sixteen to. 190 pounds at six foot as a senior in in two years. And it just all of a sudden everything clicked. And then I realized it integrated itself into, oh, a choice followed by action. And, And then I started playing football a lot. And I went to college, started as a, as a running back my sophomore year. And then boom, first game, crack my back. And then break my back, I tore a bunch of ligaments. So again, now I'm like, okay, there's something I just achieved. I'm going to keep going. No, you're not. That moment was, I love all this stuff. Why don't you study that which you're, what you need? Because A, I couldn't get better to play again. So I started studying physiology, nutrition, kinesiology, all that stuff. And that's what I got my undergrad in. Uh, and then I realized this is an unbelievable situation. Like we are, this is a, a miracle that we have this body and, and kind of coming from the, the information of 13 and 16 and the struggles and like the, the realization of choice. I'm like, Oh, so what we put in our body is definitely going to affect us. What we do with our body or not is definitely going to affect us. And so then with that information in undergrad, I moved to Boulder, Colorado. I started playing with, I did a lot of, went to, went back to school, some rehabilitation classes, and then started doing nutritional counseling, started working with a doctor that would go to the, the medical school and bring back stacks of, of information. There was no internet at, really at the time. So... Uh, we, we lived in that era before there was internet. Yeah, the internet was called the library. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's the first guy telling me like, nutrition is the answer. That's the key. And I didn't, I kind of didn't fully grok that until later, but knew that it was a fascination. Then I started playing with foods and I started playing with supplements. Uh, and then I started looking at why certain companies or certain people were formulating weird things into them. And then when my father passed away of alcoholism, finding, finding that again. So uh, he relapsed? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He had two, he had, he had uh, so I have a half brother, sister. They were born, they were three, year, three years old at the time. And he, that was it. He was in and out of rehab, couldn't get it together. And this was a brilliant, smart, wonderful human being. Um, but struggled, right? So that moment when he passed, there was something that just jumped in. So whatever boy was left kind of playing around with stuff and looking around, it was like, no, it's time. You've seen some things that people hadn't seen. You'd been to places people haven't been. It's time to actually bring that in the world because at least you know a little bit that could help some people. So that, the idea of superfood hunting, I mean, that was just, that was just necessity, number one. And number two, 
I was seeing ways people were doing doing it that wasn't that good. Uh, and the quality of what that was supposed to be was lacking. So the the power that that plant would have or the constituents that it was supposed to have uh, or the properties that it could have wasn't and therefore couldn't be expressed in a way. And ultimately then you would consume it and not get the benefits of having a strong body. So my whole deal is because I had a weak start and I built myself into a strong place so that I could live a super life. And that's really where the title of my book and all that stuff, because it really isn't about a title of a book. It was really about the core of what I want. I don't want to be, I want to be able to run around on this property. And if a tree falls down, I got to take the chainsaw and pull things out and, and work. And, and I used to have a property with this horse on it. He'd fall down. He was old. I'd, I'd put ropes on him and help him and put my shoulder in and get him up. And like, the point for me is I want to be able to not be limited by the inability for the body to function, the mind to function, the spirit to be there. But for me, I don't want to, because we all know what happens when our bodies are suppressed and depressed and sad, or well, certainly sad in the mind and, and, and not able to function at its highest level, then it's hard to dream. It's hard to take action yeah. on the dream. Yeah, you get stuck in survival mode. For sure. You know, you're just like, how the fuck can I get up today? Yeah. <laughs> like just function as a, a normal person, let alone being optimal. Totally. Something I'm curious about, and I, I think, I'm trying to think, I think uh, I think our buddy Matthew Burgess first introduced <laughs> us at a dinner with Neil Strauss and a bunch of the Malibu crew. Yeah. And uh, that's where I first- Like Tarot was there too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's where I found out about um, Super Life, your book, your site. And I remember, yeah. first thing I remember is like, damn, how did he get that URL? That's amazing. <laughs> that's an amazing name. I know. I was like, shit, good move. Yeah. Uh, but then found out that you had formulated for a long time for Beachbody. Yeah. Which yeah. is- really mainstream, you know, fitness brand worldwide, really yeah. successful company. And yeah. it was really funny. I don't know if you remember this, but when in my former life as a fashion stylist, they were one of my clients. That's right. I used to style some of oh their workout God, videos and, and also uh, the Tony Horton P90X videos sure. and all kinds of stuff like that. And it was, my stylist friends would laugh at me because it wasn't a really cool celebrity or mm -hmm. supermodels or something like that, but it paid really good money and it was so freaking easy. Yeah. You just, you went to sport chalet, Lululemon, you know, all the sporting places and just put people in non heinously matched colors basically sure. and Greek out the logos. And that was your day's work. I mean, it was like right. one of the most stress-free jobs, but yeah, it was, and it consistent. was a, yeah, 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 it was great. It was great. And it was, yeah, just, you know, short days. Everyone was very professional, but it's just one of those weird things I fell into. So how did you end up in the uh, in the Beachbody world? It's funny because I was, so I was heading down that path. I had started a company all based in finding and bringing out these, these plants. And I had a few that I identified and some that I've I helped to resurrect in, in, in South America and Peru. Um, because they were kind of being lost. So I was like, I have to work on these things. Um, Yacon, Sasha Inchi, which is like an ink and gold, uh, omega-3, 6, and 9 oil. Yacon is like this interesting prebiotic syrup that is very low on a caloric sugar, but 
it's tr- like it's almost like it's tricking your body because it's a prebiotic coming in, but you get all the taste. So I was like, whoa, that's crazy. And they used to kind of lug it around as a canteen to having the minerals and the the healthy digestive things. And then they'd walk for days and have these big kind of looking like uh, sweet potatoes in a certain sense. So, and then of course, maca uh, way back in the day. So I met all these farmers and of course, a ton of medicinal plants. And so I, I had decided, and then I had little formulas in my head that I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a little bar because the bars suck. And, and so I was going down that path. <laughs> I had hired a couple of people and, and then serendipity stepped in. So one of the guys that I had kind of snapped from the vitamin barn in Malibu, uh, he was this indigenous uh, Native American Mexican that had some naturopathic uh, heritage and also studied. Incredible guy, Miguel Berumen, works for me to this day. That was 2005. And so I'm like, I'm going to bring this shit to the world. Let's help. Let's work directly with indigenous people. Let's bring out these plants. Let's do it right. We know what's going wrong in the industry. It's not brokerage companies. They're going to save these plants. It's doing it right directly, blah, blah, blah. He was like, I'm in. So I had been doing that. I had put formulas together and I was doing that, burning through all my money, right? And so then serendipity stepped in. He met Isabel, who was... Carl Deichler, the owner of Beachbody's girlfriend at the time, and she was a great formulator too. And she had come to the vitamin bar, met Miguel, and said, hey, I'm working on this potential project with uh, Carl, uh, and but I need help. And so I'm doing some of this stuff, and Miguel was like, oh my God, you got to meet Darren. Darren's into all, he's doing all this stuff. Like he's, all, he's in Peru, he's connected, he's like, and so we met, and it was like a kindred spirit so isabel and i are just like boom like philosophies and doing it right and then we got the marching order from carl going i'm not going to compromise so you just make it how you need to make it at the time and you know there was vegan powders and stuff like that 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 weren't even close to being marketable yet and the safety taste wise taste wise and this, <laughs> i remember that yeah it was horrible <laughs> Yeah. And even safety standards oh, okay. just weren't even up to right. speed. So there's a lot of things against it. So anyway, we threw this formula together in 2000 and launched in 2008, 2009. And it became, you know, their biggest grossing product at the company. So, you know, uh, as an independent formulator, that's kind of like a, a beautiful that's a win. Strike of gold. Yeah. And so it's afforded me to continue to do what I do and continue to investigate, continue to travel, continue to work angles. And in the process of hunting and superfoods, and you relatively find yourself in situations and unsustainable situations and uncleanly water situations. So I've gotten involved with, I'm on the board of raincatcher.org, where we've gotten a half a million people clean water around the world. Uh, and, and then I run into guys who have dedicated their life to sustainable technologies and, and permaculturists that are carbohydrate economies into fuel economies for indigenous people. So these worlds start kind of coming together in such a powerful way. Um, so then it fuels my mission even more. So, uh, and then of course, you know, the, the anomalies of, 
of which we'll get into later, the Barukas from from the Sahadu, those things come come very rare because I have a list of of botanicals that I'd love to get out in the world, but there's a lot of things that have to come together for those things to to work. And so when the stars align in terms of is it sustainable? Is it is it grown in a way that's sustainable? Is it is it uh, farmed or is it wild collected? Is it how how much of the indigenous people have to be involved? And if they are, how do you do it fairly? So it takes a huge amount of work to understand a culture and interview everyone possible. And when I say interview, I mean like sitting around and talking to a chief and going to the head of a of a village and in a car for. 15 hours on a water buffalo on a train on a plane on a like it's not like it's it's great to stay as an opening line i am a superfood hunter but it's a freaking you got to be in shape man (laughs) it looks hardcore when you when you look i was looking of course the videos and stuff on your site and it looks like crocodile dundee stuff i mean you were out like bushwhacking for real it's not you know it's not you're going going to a city center in Brazil and meeting with an executive and like discussing <laughs> right. those people that live out in the bush and how right. we can extrapolate their, their shit. It's but like that, you're there with the people. Yeah. And you have to, but that, that is very much a part of the industry now. Right. That part of so it. So it's both. It's both now yeah. because, because you have to, where is that said plant going to go to get harvested in a standard that's going to be viable for, yeah, you can call it FDA. Of course, it has to hit all those standards and HACCP certified and all of those things and standard protocols of quality assurance and and quality control. You know, heavy metals and 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 microbiological and and standard safety uh, processes and flows states of 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 how a plant is taken care of. And then the the then looking at it deeper, like how do I how do what are the active compounds? How do I grow them in a in a way that's uh protective of them how do i then harvest them and i say how how we do like them and how can we work with them and what do they need in order for that to occur and then how do we preserve that in a way that ends up in a liquid or a powder or a functional beverage to still have the mission and that mission is to bring about the opportunity of that constituent that has been used sometimes tens of thousands of years so that you can sit here and consume it and actually get the benefit not market mar- not from a marketing perspective because marketing perspective i've seen shit i know i know a lot of the people behind the scenes most of what I've done, I know who's making what and who, where that's coming from and who that lab and that thing. And like, ooh, it's just a matter of time. Someone's going to get in trouble doing that because all the facilities don't have this in place or that in place and, and birds are pooping in the thing. It's just a matter you know, <laughs> you, know, you know. I'm thinking about all the superfoods in my cabinet right now. Well, you know, it's, I'm... The way my mind works, I'm really into the way things work. Yeah. You know, this TV shows how how it works yeah. or how things are made, whatever. Yeah. That, I mean, I don't have TV, but I've yeah. seen those types of shows a couple of times. And I'm very interested in the supply chain yeah. of things. So if you yeah. look at Peruvian maca, yeah. from the moment that it's 
you know, planted, the seeds planted in the ground, uh, mm-hmm. what's it fertilized with? Where does the water come from? Yeah. Who's picking it? Where does it go right out of the ground? Does yeah. mold grow on it? Yeah. And then if it's, you know, powdered or gelatinized, is there, yeah. you know, what's happening? Every little step of the way yeah. is interesting to me yeah. because I'm interested in getting the actual compounds that make it effective in yeah, there. The machamides and the machamines and the things that have, the reason they were taking it. Right. And that, I guess that's the thing when you're looking at, you know, just superfoods as a whole typically don't come from this country of origin. When you're right. speaking as Americans, they come from all over India, yeah. um, South America, of course, and numerous other places. So I'm always wondering when I go into an Air One or a Whole Foods and I'm like, oh, here's the Moringa. Yeah, that's good for you. And I'm getting, you know, a bag of that. I can't help but wonder, is it the legit stuff? Is it is it the shit or is it whack? And there are some things that I've researched a bit and I know and I'll, you know, I'll really, yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll email companies and grill them about their yeah. process and the origin of the things yeah. and how it's tested and all that. But, yeah. you know, you don't have time to do that with every single thing. So I, I exactly. try to find the top ones, but there's just some of the supply chains are so ambiguous that it's difficult mm-hmm. to really trace down to origin to see if you're getting... Yeah, the real a, deal. You know, I don't even have a good answer for you. Other yeah, than I don't know that it's a question. It's right. just it's a point of interest for me just for because sure. I, I like seeing behind the curtain and I'm just so curious as the way it works. Well, most of my career has been behind the curtain, which right. which which is the number one reason I still jump on a plane and show up. Because I've seen so, most situations. What, what 99% are, of what are situ- some really crappy uh, things that could go wrong in the supply oh, chain? You of, want me to, yeah. Uh, you I mean, you know, to- you know, obviously you're not going to name names or whatever. Feel free to, if you want, but what are some of the things that people might not know are going on in that, in that? Um, okay. So there's some, uh, there's some easy ones. Moringa, since you brought it up, Moringa is one of the most powerful, all-inclusive plants, period. If I was on an island and I had one plant to consume, it would probably be Moringa to survive. Because it's, you know, in Africa, they call it the vitamin tree. They say it's a never die tree. I eat it and I I never die. (laughs) Or it never dies too. So it's very, very strong. So it's a tree. It's a tree. So the Moringa are leaves of an actual tree. Leaves of an actual tree. Easy to grow in those kind of close to the equator types of places, India, Africa, Cambodia, Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Indonesia, Philippines, great places to grow. Western Africa was reported some of the great uh, soil constitutions, some of the great Moringa. I've spent a decade in Western Africa working directly with Moringa and the populations. So I, I, I know Moringa in six or seven different countries. And I know exactly why there isn't good Moringa on the market. There's some better. There's not great. If if anyone's listening to this and they think that they have a great Moringa, I'd love to know about it. So funny because I just ordered some like Thrive Market, you know, and I love Thrive Market, but I just ordered some like Thrive generic Moringa powder. I'm already going, ah, shit, there goes 20 bucks. Well, here's here's the thing. You're going to get something. Right. But my mission is to get as much as possible. Can you grow it? 
it's not so easy to grow in California because it gets actually too cold. You can grow it in Florida though. Okay, so you can have a moringa tree in your backyard, pull up the leaves. How long and, would a moringa tree take to come to uh, be harvestable? Oh, geez, uh, three months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. And the trick with moringa is you can top it, cut it off, and then it will be so robust it will sprout up and actually turn into a almost a bush. Like cannabis. Yeah. Similar kind yeah, of thing. So yeah, so then you're getting all of the green part of it and you just keep topping it. So here's, the, here's why moringa because A, it's got 35 to 36 active antioxidants. Just that alone is stunning, right? So we all know what antioxidants are. We're getting nailed to three radicals all the time. So botanical antioxidants are really powerful for us to always consume in fresh foods. And then you have, of course, the huge amounts of vitamins, vitamin A, vitamin C, chlorophyll, full amino acid profiles. It's incredible, right? chelator, cleanser, gifter, protein, uh, vitamin, vitamin plethora. So you get this huge thing, but because of its fight to live, as soon as you cut it, now you've got hours. You've got hours before a lot of the constituents are oxidizing. Wow. Right. So if you're in India and you're like, Hey, guess what? the Moringa population or the Moringa market is going up and I'm an entrepreneurial Indian, I'm going to grow Moringa and then I'm going to cut it and I'm going to eventually get it to the processor and uh, I'm going to cut it. And so there's a bunch of twigs in there. They don't completely pull it just for the leaf. And then it's been maybe a day, weeks before they're actually processing it and drying it and grinding it. So now... You have next to nothing. You have a brown, yellow, pale green powder that is only given to you by someone being opportunistic and not caring uh, about what it actually can do for you. And that's one of my biggest quote unquote fights is if I had infinite money, I would spend a lot of my time amassing teams to make sure and standardize the production. And, and that comes by relationship first. So it's a very non-linear, but it comes by way of being very linear in the processing side of it, but it comes by way of relationships, which is why I show up and I look at the, look in the eyes of the people, understand what's going on, what do they need, what are they doing, who's trustable, all of these things. So it's a very rewarding thing. To show up in an area and A, be a minority uh, and be humbled by that all the time and do everything you can by showing up open and I'm here and what I say I'm going to do, I'm going to do. Because the other side of it is now in this day and age, most of them, even remote areas, have been screwed by someone of my skin color. So you have to read. Well, the ones that screwed them weren't from Minnesota. They, they didn't have those Midwest <laughs> values. <laughs> Honestly, dude. Yeah. There's something to that. Yeah. You know, sure. Some yeah. good people yeah. out there. In, in, in a business that I've owned, we, whenever we'd interview someone and they were from the Midwest, oh, I'm from Illinois. We're like, you're hired. I mean, right. honestly, right. you know, right. just, I don't know, something in the lineage there. Less, yeah. less shadiness prevails For in sure. that area of kinda, the country. This is it. Like, yeah. We, what are some of the most interesting 
countries or regions that you've been to in your travels? Oh, man. Uh, what always... places have just blown your mind? Like, wow, this is otherworldly. Bhutan. Where's that? Bhutan is uh, east of Nepal. Oh. And uh, nestled in an area of the Himalayas, surrounded by 23 of the highest virgin, unclimbed, untouched mountains on the planet. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You find anything interesting there? It was the first time I saw wild cordyceps cultivation. Oh, no way. Yeah. Cool. Growing out of the caterpillars or whatever? Wow. Yeah. So the sustainable, so the Bhutan runs their country, tries everything they can to run it by gross national happiness. Damn, I need to move there. Yeah. So very traditional. Their first cell phone, I think, was in 2007. Or no, 2003. I went there in 2007. 2003, and their first, and they introduced uh, more channels, and they like wrestling and then they instantly saw kids were more aggressive so they shut it down like it's kind of the last shangri-la and so 300 species of wild mushrooms the terrain so just to give you an idea it's a landmass the size of a little more than indiana with elevation changes from 2000 feet to 25000 <laughs> what yeah. That's madness. Yeah. So an average kilometer in the country, you turn 17 times. Oh my God. I would hate that. <laughs> I'm feeling dizzy already. So can you imagine that stark ecosystem amassing this very, I mean, there was an interesting type of goji berry that was this bright orange thing that I was like, and I was we pulled alongside and someone was grabbing my belt and I was leaning out over this cliff just trying to get it. And I finally pulled one and I ate it. I should have saved it, saved the seed, but I didn't when think about it and meeting like these experts. And that's the thing, Luke, what I realized and I started a PhD program in nutrition and I quit because there was a certain point where they were, I was having to not travel to continue the study. And then when I realized I'm going to origin of places and going to the research centers that you can't even find on Google. I'm in the middle of India at an Ayurvedic temple that's been there for a thousand years. And I'm in Bhutan sitting with a, across from a guy that comes from 10 generations of medicinal mushroom expertise i'm like going what the hell so i'm like wow so for me i'm tactile and i love so when i was in physiology and kinesiology and all of that stuff when i could feel and see it and touch it i was like that's how i that's how it really clicks into my learning so when i'm there and i'm looking at the plants i'm i'm talking to the people and we're out in the fields and we're digging things up and i'm with the researcher I mean, I've worked with the Potato Plantation Center in Peru, which is the uh, potato capital of the planet. It's got more tubers in uh, Peru than any other place in the world. That's just Yacon and Maca are tubers, right? So they're in the potato family, or not necessarily potato, but they're tubers, right? So I worked with their researchers in the field looking at the BRICS method of the quality control that they're using and the, like, 
for me, that's the way I wanted to construct my life. I wanted to jump on the plane and I wanted to go to places that I wouldn't be able to get to. And I definitely can't find it on a Google search. You know, showing up in in South America and learning about Sasha Inchi when the culture was forgetting about this treasure that the Incans would put this Sasha Inchi on their staves that they would as for their kings and shit. Like this was a big deal, right? They knew it was good for topically and internally. And and so when the culture was losing that in a tiny way, I was contributing to to a sustained ethnobotanist adventure. And that to me, uh, and knowing now over 15 years of doing this, knowing people for that long and knowing when I first sat down with them and had, you know, like this maca liqueur uh, from this tiny three and a half foot Peruvian Andean woman. Uh, and now she bought her second house and her put her kids to school. And, you know, that to me, that completes an important circle uh, because it's, I love giving you like you came here i get you baruka nuts do you want some do you want some additional mushrooms of course i didn't find those you know our friend taro did but um but the point is when you understand that things are done right that these nutrients are there and that the people and the environment are preserved and done right now me giving that to you i'm coming from that energy and i'm representing that power that has been at least the best that we can preserved and that to me is at this point in my life i will not let that suffer for money it just takes longer it takes more work and it takes a team that gets that understanding so that's beautiful there's something interesting in that that i want to pick out and that's that in some cases these indigenous peoples have had uh, you know, a plant, an herb that they've held sacred. And then through their evolution, it's kind of fallen out of vogue and fallen out of popularity. It's interesting that an outsider would come in and be like, hey, you guys, you're sitting on gold here. Totally. This Sacha Inchi nut is amazing. Yo, wake up. You remember? Remember? It's kind of right. like waking them yeah. back up. It's, it's really cool. It's interesting. Well, you realize that we're in this world now where creating a sustainable engine the economic engine is really important because if if that if we can do that we can show that model you know what we can do we can then go back to them and say i will buy this from you and from your village for as long as those trees are there and i will do that and i will you know what i'll also do i will start a nursery and replant where they were lost by unsustainable practices that you i understand you had to do to give your children food so by creating a sustainable company by people truly understand and i know you get this by people truly understand that by every hard-earned dollar that you give to a company you're saying i support that company by being in existence and so and you're one of those people you'll you'll investigate and you'll dig in and and then be that voice for people and that's really important because we need people to do that 
we need people to ask those tough questions and even know what to ask. Because those average people, the naivete of middle America is, it's on a shelf. Of course it's going to be, I mean, that baby food can't be toxic. That, <laughs> that supplement can't be full of heavy metals. If, I, if this company, that fine CEO, just sent this beautiful Instagram video, of course that Moringa is good. There's a couple reasons why that isn't always the case. Either they don't want to spend the money on going all the way back and sending audit teams to literally, from a quality control, science perspective, test everything. Because that's unsexy. That's not, that's not easy to market, sending a guy in like on a flashlight making sure rat poop isn't in the corner. That's just <laughs> oh, like, damn. like it's like ninety nine. Have you seen that? Not oh, dude. Oh god, dude. If I showed you pictures of the places that you currently have ingested, right, you would lose your. Mind. Well, here's here's the good news. <laughs> That's disgusting. I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that. Here's the good news, though, with shows like this spreading the message of guys like you. And the general, and, and largely due to the internet, there is a higher degree of transparency in the supply chain of everything, not just superfoods now, right? And so I'm not the only discerning health nut out there that's going to... Remember a couple of years ago, I was obsessed with um, goat kefir, right? And I got these grains from my dad in Colorado from his Amish neighbors, and I smuggled them back, and I'm making this really great kefir. I was working on healing my gut, and I actually called the goat milk company in Central California. I said, listen, I need to know the water they're drinking. Is it from an aquifer? Is it from... Uh, is it from a well? Is it river? Is there a chance there's runoff or irrigation water? And they're just like, who is this freak? And they're like, you know what? We don't know. Let me get back to you. And they got back to me and it turned out that it, it passed my test. It was, it was well water and the well water had been tested for heavy metals and iron and all this yeah, kind of stuff, yeah. you know? So I could rest assured because when I'd make the kefir, when it would separate, sometimes it would curdle. And then a lot of it was water. And I was like, damn, I'm drinking all that water. What is that water before it was in that animal? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And now that sounds a little bit extreme, but now I know a number of people that will do things like that. They find something they like and, and the companies are sort of beholden now to be more forthright and, and oftentimes even using in their marketing, it's tested for mold, tested for heavy metals, te- you know, all the whole thing. So now it's getting to the point where if you don't see that kind of rigorous testing, you're sort of like, oh, then why aren't they using that in their marketing? They'd be having that like front and center because the, the public is becoming more discerning and knowledgeable. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of things that run into it in terms of big companies. It's it's liabilities because uh, it's it's tough to throw all the information out there um, because any sort of anything could come in, especially when you have multi formulated ingredients. Um, you test even if all you have all the protocols in place and everything else, and so when you it's vulnerable and it's easy for smaller companies to completely be transparent. Uh, it's not that people don't want to be transparent. It's just it's it. We're in such a legal challenge that it, it makes it difficult. And I I make this argument too, and I'm switching gears a little bit, but it's kind of like in, I found this early on when I'd go to a place, I'd meet with the farmer, and be like, "Wow, you're growing it in a wild." kind of recreated harvest permacultural kind of way. This is beautiful. There's no pesticides. There's no, 
And there's no organic certification because it's like 10 steps beyond. But then all of a sudden you're like this pressure of like, okay, well, what's going to take to get this wild collected thing organically certified? Largely, that burden is going to be pushed onto the farmer. And now that farmer that he has to come up with fees, he's got to go through regulatory processes, even though he's already through them in some respects. Right. And now that commodity has the price has drawn gone up, but the quality hasn't changed at all, and that does exist. So that's like that's the downside of of uh, right. the regulatory certifications and things like that. I've yeah. noticed this at the farmers markets. I go yeah. to the farmers market in Ohio or Santa Barbara, or wherever, and uh, I'm always looking for the big organic symbol. Yeah. And then I'll see the little guy over here with like a crappier sign and it says, no pesticide. <laughs> yeah. I'll go ask the guy. I'm like, is it organic? He goes, no, I can't say that because I don't have the money like the big right. dogs to get the certification. I said, do you use any pesticides? No, I swear to God, we don't. It's all right. natural. Right. You know, I go, okay. Right. You know, it's one of those things like so you said, you, you, can, you can look them in the eye. You, yeah. you know, you tend yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah. get to vibe this out. Yeah. Uh, but that's interesting. It's sort of the, yeah. But, but the downside of... Yeah. Being able to verify everything that you're doing. And if you have that a, costs money. Exactly. If you have a company that is willing to put that effort into it, you don't need the organic certification. You just have your standards and make sure that those standards are are adhered to and tested. So at the end of the day, dude, organic certification is is a white piece of paper being passed around too, bro. Yeah. Like yeah. it's scary. Yeah, I bet. I bet. It, there's a lot of places where that that thing that came from way over there on that ship and on that train and on that thing can easily be go, you know what, if we just move this over here, stamp organic on, we'll be able to charge 30% more. So there's pressure there. An economy yeah. is pressure. So, you know, again, I will say to any company, treat your customers as if they know, even if they don't, create it in a way that is right from the beginning and test everything and set up the foundation. Go there, show up, get to know the people. Don't cut corners because that inevitably will come back and bite you. And I love the fact that people are asking for more uh, transparency and stuff. It's, it's of course, because we know we're being duped. You know, when Monsanto finally is Can being... Can you believe it took that long? Yeah. <laughs> Dude. I mean, now it's just so much in the court's face that yeah. that this this poor kind of custodial guy was spraying glyphosate all over thing, got directly got cancer from it. And so the court had to rule in his favor. And it's like, well, that shit's been going on forever. You know what I noticed about that, though, which was it felt like a big victory for those of us that are on the other side of that paradigm. In reality, it's a very small victory right. you know, yeah. because of the mass worldwide scale of a, a poison like glyphosate being in everything. But I have noticed now it's popping up in other things. Oh, we just discovered it's in cereal that kids are eating. Now the news, because it's, you know, it's clickbaity, it's they're able to use the fear tactic against glyphosate and monsanto which is it's cool i mean i don't 
I don't really pay attention much to the mainstream media because there's so much fear mongering. But when it's when it's fear mongering towards something that people should be legitimately afraid of, so I've noticed there's there's some repercussions of that that recent court case. Now it's like, oh, it's in this and it's in this. I'm like, yeah, it's it's everywhere that shit. And, and to your point, they they didn't want the one to happen because of that cascade effect. Yeah, because that's the. They, they want to do everything they can to stop that stop that snowball from continuing, and hopefully, as a as a society, that we continue to p- poke it and push it every place. That because then Middle America go well. If the court decided, then maybe I should consider this. What bothers me about those types of uh, companies and the things they put out is the lack. It's the lack of transparency and even further being deceptive with intent, right? It's like, if I want to go eat at McDonald's or drink a Diet Coke or something, which I'm not going to do, you know, I have a choice. I know it's not good for me, right? But when something's getting, like glyphosate is getting into our food supply and I go get some organic wheat bread, right? unknowingly I'm adjusting something that's just part of our food system now and it's being hidden and being lied about, that's just, the punk rock teenager in me is just like, ah, kill them, you know, kill them who kill. I guess that doesn't make sense. Uh, hypocritical there, but you get where I'm going. Like that's sure. the shit that pisses me off. I'm like, yes, expose it, expose yeah. it. Well, we should know it's, about it. It's the we things should... we, you know, then you can make an educated guess. So if I want to go stop at, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, I'm, I know I'm having a glyphosate wheat donut and I'm, I'm going to roll with that and enjoy it and think positively and imagine that right. it's made of, wheatgrass juice or something you know as my dna is unwinding <laughs> yeah, the wrong way yeah, totally. we'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement this episode of the Lifestyles podcast is brought to you by my friends over at juve so for the past year or so i've been doing something called photobiomodulation that's a super geeky term for using red light therapy. And Juve make a device that is hanging right here next to me in my podcast studio that I use just about every damn day. In fact, most days I use it twice a day. So why would you want to use red light therapy? Well, just like a whole food can be broken down into different vitamins and minerals, sunlight can also be broken down into different colors. And just like the nutrients in whole food, each color and sunlight has its own effect on our bodies. So once absorbed into your body, light energy is converted into cellular energy, which kicks off a series of metabolic events like the formation of new capillaries, elevated production of collagen, and the release of ATP. And red light therapy has even been approved by the FDA, and its effectiveness has been studied throughout the world. So here's why I use the Juve red light therapy device on the reg. Repairs sun damage, which I get a lot of. Reduces wrinkles, which I'm getting a few of. Enhances muscle recovery and peak performance. When I work out, I have that issue. Heals acne and other blemishes. Fades scars and stretch marks. Speeds wound healing. Reduces joint inflammation. And my favorite benefit of the Juve, increases testosterone production. So if you're interested in checking out some of those benefits for yourself... You can go over to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V dot com forward slash Luke. Here's the catch. If you use the code Luke at checkout, you will receive a special free gift. So go to juve.com forward slash Luke, use the code Luke and get hooked up with some Juve red light therapy. And now back to the interview. 
other than that uh, that country near Nepal, that what was that one Bhutan. called? Bhutan. Other than Bhutan, what? Give me a couple, one or two other top crazy com- uh, countries that you've experienced. Well, certainly in certain areas of countries, right? Okay. So, so Brazil, I was blown away with the Sahadu, the savanna of Brazil, because where the Baru or the Barrozeda tree or the Baruca nuts come from is is the largest landmass of crystals from naturally on the ground of any other place in the world. So here we are hunting down Barrozeda trees and in these shops and in these little places, these guys who are crystal hunters are everywhere. So you're like in this vibe and these natural springs are everywhere. And you're like, this is, I'm going to live here. Like I still want to get a place because it is, it's so hard to get there. But then all of a sudden you show up and it's like, it's like Joshua tree on steroids. Wow. So this is south of the equator then. Yeah. So it's in Brazil. It's, it's south. Yes. And it's south of the Amazon. So it's like right. the, right. you know, and it's the landmass of three states of Texas. It's wow. huge. That's crazy because Brazil's like roughly the size of the United States, yep. right? So if you imagine how much of the United States Texas takes up yep. and replicate that times three. It's at least third. To, <laughs> That's crazy. Third of the, of the United States. So That's crazy. So and there, the, there's springs there popping up? Oh, yeah, everywhere. And then there's this place called Alto Paradiso, where we were have a lot of our centralized locations and partners and stuff. And it is, it's called High Paradise. Wow. And it is, I mean, you would go there. Are there any hot springs down there? Or just, you're talking uh, about just drinking have, springs? There have to be. There yeah. has to be. I didn't run into any, but. You had me at underground crystal caves. <laughs> you know, just imagine what's percolating under the land there. Yeah, it's, it's uh, so special. And of course, you know, uh, you know, going to Iquitos and the Pucallpa River and the Amazon, Amazon, and uh, those things, and having boats break down and ending up in the deep, in the Shipibo people's village, being brought in by uh, funny things. We our boat broke down. We were able to get to this place, but we couldn't leave it because it was too dark. And then the illegal loggers would come in, and they're pirates. So they'd kill you if you're on the, on. So, so then we had to stay. So as soon as we pulled up to this village off the river, they started playing this music and these girls in this traditional cloth came and pulled us off the boat and start, and we started skipping our way into the village and come to find (laughs) out they're all the virgins of the village. So they take all the guys, I'm not even making this up. I have it on video. And they brought us into the village, and next thing I know, we're we're running into the forest, cutting vines, drinking chuchuasi tea uh, or unigado tea, cat's claw, and we're uh, looking at uh, their traditional ayahuasca vine and and root, and like and and then we're they have one mosquito net that some foreigner left like 10 years ago. Thank God, because the mosquitoes are just out of control. And so we laid on a plank of wood. And so anyway, it was beautiful because the point is like, you can go to Peru and go to things, but when you're in it, 
the rawness of it. And really, the Sahadu was the same. I think the, the addictive aspect of the travel for me is um, I kind of avoid all the other stuff and I go into it. So, so the, the, the benefit of the superfood side of it is digging deep into that stuff and really feeling, you know, the what's really going on and what's really happening. So, so in, in a lot of respects, the places are seem to be secondary than the actual experience and the people, right? Because that's the memorable stuff. Of course, you have unique places, everything from you know deep in Costa Rica and uh, certain. You know, one memorable one was actually running up in the Sovereign Mountains. Technically, it's China, but in the Sovereign Mountains of uh, peaceful mountains of Tibet in China, we were hunting down rhodiola. Rhodiola is fantastic, one of the great adaptogens and great for what is that? Is it a root or something? Root. Is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of species, right? So we were at 14,000 feet and by the end we were at 17 plus, but then everybody but me. And the Tibetan guy made it to the last little top where these special rhodiola was. And that and I, that really was because of the breathing work and the the early days of the Wim Hof and the and, you know, all of that stuff. I tell you what, because I've been in the Andes at fifteen thousand plus and I was like, Okay, I'm I'm chewing on coca leaf tea to help with the the stuff and it's like, yeah, but I have a headache and I've always done pretty well with elevation. But after, so, so the memorable side of it's snowing, it's raining, and I'm trying to keep up with this Tibetan guy. And I'm just looking out the snow-capped mountain in the background, and then a storm coming in, and I'm like, oh my God. And we get to that place, and some guy's taking a picture, and they're this big, and like they're and half an inch tall. And I'm looking down at them and I'm, put, I'm looking at this rhodiola plant and I'm like, that's incredible because the journey, I always think of that, the journey of these plants, which is why the quality control, which is why it's important to preserve these bloody things because that strength of that rhodiola, that adaptogenic quality that it has, those constituents that have tons of antidepressant activity and ability for your body to deal with all kinds of stress and altitude stress and bronchial stress, that to me is worth it every time, even though it's a pain in the ass to get there. And, but that moment is just, it's just the best, you know? So well, as a superfood hunter, I mean, that's, that's you know hunting is implying that something's being killed at the end of the journey that's the payoff for you right. yeah, i mean it's like sure. my dad is a well not anymore he's a bit older but he's a lifelong hunter in colorado and i mean he would put himself in these arduous situations i mean just oh man you know i mean he'd wear horse at a certain point in his hunting career he had to just stop using horses because they weren't rugged enough and he had to switch to mules because <laughs> he was too hardcore but it was all about feeding himself for the next year you know and so 
it, that's what made it worth it. There was a payoff there. For me, I'm not that hardcore. Uh, for me, the payoff is finding water. When I go on an adventure and I'm like at the end, as long as there's a hot spring, a river, some body of water that I can get in and cleanse myself with natural waters, that that's my reward that I'm finding now, which makes it tough to do that in California because there's not a lot of water no. in, my, in many cases. So uh, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you felt like you were about to die? You know, where your life's flashing before your eyes because the Jeep flipped over or the boat sinking or the natives are restless or anything like that? Not that I, it didn't get to the point where I was going to die, but there's certain points where I was like, I may, I might get thrown in jail in a weird country. I've had, unfortunately, I've had people get hurt, seriously hurt. And I think the radar for me, you can't go about traveling in this way with the same mentality of traveling. So luckily, other than, you know, weird stitches in hospitals and stuff like that, I've had people, I won't say his last name, but uh, this this uh, George, his, uh, he was with me and he was a camera guy in Indonesia. And we were looking at this, this pristine artisan cacao and we really wanted to go. And so we, the only way you could get there is these very small cobblestone roads. And so, and I'm comfortable on a motorcycle. I've ridden them all my life. And so we all kind of get on these little scooters. And uh, and so this director of photography says, he's got his camera on the back. He says, I'm going to go. And, uh, and I kind of saw him on the bike. I'm like, yeah, you maybe should maybe ha- just jump on the back. And he goes, nope. He's in New Yorker. And he's like, I'm here. I'm going to experience it all. So we take off and we make it to the first place. We meet these families. We see how they're processing everything. We see the beautiful cacao. We break some open. We eat some raw. We, you know, see what how they traditionally work with it. And we're like, okay, it's getting dark. Let's we got to get to this other one. Let's go back. So I cruise out. I'm having fun. I'm on the bike and I stop and I let everyone catch up and I'm cruising. Next thing I know, no one comes. So I'm like, uh oh. I turn around. I come to the scene of George laying on on the ground. His motorcycle is like off in the ditch. And we look, I'm like, and he's kind of squirming and screaming. And I look down, his leg snapped in half. Oh. So it's lower, just below his knee. And apparently it happened like something like, because I wasn't there, but it was something like his foot slipped off the peg, went into the front spoke, and then his body went over the, so left his foot there and snapped it. So now we're in the middle, we're in Jakarta. We're in the middle of nowhere. And we can't even, we don't even think we can get a vehicle back there. So we're now, what, are, what the fuck are we going to do? And we're like, is he internally bleeding? Is he going to have a blood clot? It's like, who knows what's happening? So we try to call out and try to get a helicopter and nothing's working. And we finally get some big ass vehicle back and we i we two of us cruised ahead to find the hospital some shitty hospital of a nightmare scenario it's like you talk about a horror movie this is not the hospital you want to be in in the middle of nowhere in jakarta you don't want to be there it's not clean it's not safe like but we had to go there and we got there and he we got him in this vehicle and he made it and he's screaming the whole time and he's yellow and he's just freaking in shock and they had some opiates, so they stuck them with opiates. 
um, got him at least feeling a little better. Uh, and then the background, the first, what's his name? Not the, not the last one, the other one, Prince, not Diana, but the, his son. What's, what the hell is that? I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway, so that's going on in the background. They're getting, so whatever year that was, I forget. So that's going on in the background. I'm hearing it. Someone's watching that in the freaking weird hospital. So I have this weird background music. And so we get them loaded up. Anyway, we make it to Bali, a better hospital, told them not to use bamboo screws, got him, and he had to have surgery because he couldn't get on a plane. He would have he would have had a blood clot and died. So they reconstructed his leg and put plates and screws and rods and shit in, and he had to stay there for a few months. And then another person on the Amazon River got, got hit by a, a, a limb coming out of the water and broke her jaw. And that was on the same boat. Like she wasn't paying attention. So I ducked and it clotheslined her in the boat. Oh, dude. And so, so the thing is like, you, you have to definitely be aware, right? And then, yeah, I've had a few little injuries and stuff, but luckily no. And the moments where I'm like, I'm going to get thrown in jail right now. Like because of uh, shady politics of shady the whole politics, thing. Shady having to pay people off. And I'm like, okay, well, that's what they're asking me in some weird way. So now I'm now I'm going to perform a bribe. I'm going to pay them so they don't kick me out or put me in jail. So I did, and I'm, then they leave, and I'm like, they might be now just by me doing that, they might put me in jail. So like <laughs> shit like that has happened several times. And you mentioned chewing on cacao, uh, uh, not cacao, uh, coca leaves. Yeah. Have you experimented with any of the the um, psychoactive plant medicines from around the world? Kratom, ayahuasca, coca leaves, ayahuasca, ayahuasca, and first time in nineteen ninety eight, I think. Wow, early adopter. Yeah, before you could just go to Joshua Tree and hang out with, <laughs> with a bunch of millennials doing a doing a ceremony. No offense, millennials doing the ayahuasca ceremonies. I'm just busting balls. Yeah, yeah. But you were doing it back in the day. I mean, I never yeah. even heard of it. Yeah, back then. I you know. I didn't either. And someone mentioned it, and I knew I was going to do it. Like it didn't even. I didn't even do any drug in my life at that point and so i did and the plant told me basically for lack of a better way of saying it thanks for coming good to have you here i'm going to show you some things but you never have to take me again wow because it's i'm always here when i think i am always you're always here it's here you don't have to do it. and so i did that ceremony but i also didn't listen to that so i did it a few more times and got the crap beat out of me which is much bigger conversation and it's a little too intense for this yeah. but so i have a lot of respect a lot of honor a lot of caution to people that are on the fence like it's either calling you or it's not calling oh you, yeah i've you know? never had an inkling at all people try to talk me into it all the time bro you don't know what you're missing don't be afraid i'm like it's not i'm not dude <laughs> i used to do a lot of drugs that were way worse than that way more dangerous uh it's not afraid i just it's like if you said hey you want a piece of chocolate cake it just i just don't feel like it there's no reason why it's just yeah doesn't have any appeal to me at this point uh one thing i did start using uh recently as not really because of its psychoactive effects but just for um uh, it's a good painkiller is this uh kratom from Thailand. Do you know anything about that or have any no, experience? No. There are these trees that grow in Southeast Asia and a few, and a few countries. And, um, they use it to get people off opiates 
It's, it's weird. It's illegal in Thailand. And the story goes that it was made illegal by the government because they actually wanted the field workers out in the poppy fields to stay addicted to opium. And you can use it to get off opiums because it hits the opiate receptors. Sure. But it lacks the, I guess, the molecule that allows you to become addicted to it. It's really strange. Uh, but it's a great painkiller. And if you only take, you know, like two grams, a teaspoon or something, there's no psychoactive effect. But it's just... It is like um, relaxing to the nervous system of your body. It's pretty cool. Well, we need that. We're yeah, getting, it's cool. We're, we're it's cool. It. And they, and they, a lot of people, and there's a lot of controversy around it, but a lot of people are using it to get off of these, this fentanyl and all this crazy, really dangerous um, opiates that we have going on here. And then what's it like to chew uh, coca leaves, the, the plant that cocaine products are derived from? Yeah. It's, you uh, get high off that at all or what does no, it do? No, it's, a, it's an incredible medicinal plant. You know, it's got a mild stimulant, uh, bronchiodilation, mild euphoria, but it's not at all high. You, you know, the concentration of that is, I forget the actual ratio, but it's a, it's a few kilos of dry matter per, you know, one gram or whatever, not even. So it's unfortunate because uh it's a it's a really powerful it's similar to like that compared to like if i take you know green tea it's similar to that except that it has a hot from the high altitude standpoint it really helps curb any nausea and and allows for the circulatory system to kind of kick in a little more and transport red blood cells and so when you're at elevation the first you know, when we're going to the Andes, it's always like, okay, we're in the, maybe in the Blinn market and we're in the, you know, there's, there's places where you can get that and get a bag of it and throw it in the car and just grab a little bit of it and chew on it. And some people put like lemon or whatever, it kind of uh, acts as in a little extractor and allows more, but I don't like the, the, that, that aspect. I like the kind of the nutty, chewy, you know, leaf. So I basically keep that in my Does mouth. Does that numb your mouth? A little bit. A little? little yeah. Bit. Does it make you solve the world's problems? No. It's not, <laughs> no. <laughs> Certainly. Something about cocaine, man. It makes you think you're so smart. I remember that when I was a teenager, I'd be doing blow and I'd come up with these theories on this and that. And then, or even playing music, you know, yeah. you think you write the best song and the next day listen back and go, oh my God, it was horrible. Right. But it gives you these false uh superhuman feelings what about iboga do you have any did you come across that in your journeys no i've never never played with it never used it yeah me either yeah yeah just curious in terms of you spending time with these indigenous peoples around the world what are some philosophical gems that you've gained from interacting with people that live uh, closer to the land etc you know uh the ones that haven't been seduced by the need to be westernized because you do find that you know you find the middle of nowhere they want to be da 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 they want like an American they want Levi's and an iPhone yeah there's a there's a seduction of and and also a collapse of urban or I mean uh, farming rural people and they have to because they're on sustainability they end up working in the city and then Part of their family is out in the middle of nowhere. So you have that. I think, you know, the first things that come to mind is the community, the connectedness of family is the most obvious, 
thing you have and completely dictated by nature. That's probably the the easiest and the greatest thing. And that is something that certainly echoes the research around uh, centurions and blue zones and everything else. And, and even Harvard study, longest running study that we know of, 75 plus years. And they're saying that, you know, in terms of uh, longevity uh, and quality of life, it's community. So that's the, that's the obvious because you end up having to have a circle of people. You're you're having a discussion with all these people just to you know to move something along or say, hey, can I do this thing? So it, it's that I don't know if it's one philosophical sentence other than kind of the the peace, the community, the the down-regulated, amped-up world that we're always in is so beautiful to just to be able to go, ah, I can hang out here and the siesta in the afternoon. They work really hard before it gets hot and then hang out with their family and play. And so that flow exists more than it exists, I think, than we know. You know, so, and, and I think the traditions, the, the, the commitment to, to traditions is really something that's really cool. Like uh, the ritual that people go through, the way they perform, create a tonic, the, the blessings they give a person before they give it to them, um, the reverence that they have for the plants, the uh, respect they have of picking the plant the care and the the respect that they know that the people around them have given them that their ability to to own that space and to completely be of service is just awe-inspiring you know from the from the shaman to the elder of the village to the you know I've looked at some of these guys in the face and you're just like, there is so much going on. It's unbelievable. Like I could sit here for, I think the biggest thing I would, there's nothing I would do over, but if I could live a parallel life, every shaman or elder that I met, I would, live with them for 10 years to really absorb everything that that they have and i you know and then that's where i i have so much respect for so for some colleagues of of mine like and i say colleagues i use that lightly because this is like legendary like so dr michael ballack who's one of the greatest ethnobotanist legends of our time living legends today who has sat in front of 40, 50 people, shamans and giving and and entrust they entrusting him with plant medicines and healing protocols uh, that those people are all now dead and would have been lost. And so when you get a glimpse of them saying, yes, I'm going to work with you, that is a huge kind of incredible opportunity and honor. So, so that kind of way, and there's, it's hard for me when I talk about 
you know, where things are from and how it's good for you. And I hope that some people can feel the lineage of, of a tiny bit of that when, you know, the holding the rhodiola and looking at the Tibetan guy and can't speak to him, but we were just laughing and going, I'm going to help. I'm going to get this out. And looking at the Cambodian shaman showing us how to, to work with these plants and, and heal these people that are coming to him, like, wanting to teach us like that's a freaking incredible thing and that goes on to this day and we lose stuff every day we lose culture we lose healing potentials and we don't ever get to know some of these healing opportunities so i think that is that's awesome if i could participate more in that like dr balak and i are flirting with the idea of helping with some of his stuff that would be fun Cool. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. As we come to a close here, I want to touch on your most recent discovery because, and I don't, you know, I don't just say stuff like this to blow people up, but these Baru, Baru nuts, Baru nuts from that, what is it called? The Sadahu? Sahadu. 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 This, uh, this arid place in Brazil that we were discussing earlier. What the hell is up with these freaking nuts? I'm going to just tell you subjectively, you guys listening. So I don't eat peanuts. I, legumes don't really agree with me. There's issues with mold, mycotoxins with peanuts. They're just not a food that I love them, but it's just not a food that I, my body likes. My taste buds do. And so when I ran into you with these, uh, your barucas, and you said, yeah, they kind of taste like peanuts, but they're an actual nut and they have this great nutritional uh, profile and stuff. Dude, from the first handful I had, I was... Swear to God, I was instantly addicted to these. And every time I get a bag of them from you guys, I go through them in like three or four days and it's probably supposed to be a two-week supply or or more. They are just so freaking good. And uh, and I ha- and I digest them very easily. You know, if I'm to eat almonds or something, I mean, I have to soak them. It's a whole process to get the phytic acid off. And it's just, nuts are not, they don't agree with me that well. I ate a lot when I was a vegetarian or I lived on nuts and I think I kind of tore up my gut from, you know, not knowing how to properly prepare nuts and stuff. So, you know, in the, we probably got about 10 minutes or so left. So it's not a lot of time, but you know, how did you discover these? Give us a little bit of background on, on, on their whole trip. Yeah. So I was in Brazil for another reason. I was looking at some palm fruits, acai and some other ones that we're trying to get out now, but I had come back. Here's the power of like, uh, social media. And so, you know, people know a little bit about like, God, this kid's everywhere. Right. So I was just in Brazil and this Brazilian reached out to me and he was like, do you know of this Baru nut? I'm like, no, which is such a great thing to say. And then he goes, can I tell you about it? Sent me some info, started doing the research. And I was like, immediately like, what? It's a nut and technically a seed, right? So it's like, as for all the viewers out there, we have full Baru fruit. So there's one nut per It's crazy. Per so we're, we're looking at like uh, maybe twice as big as a walnut or like a large egg yolk yeah. maybe in, in, uh, in size. And so inside one of these is one is one of the yeah. Baru nuts yeah. that, um, for those of you listening, uh, is maybe twice as big as a peanut. 
Yeah. It's about one gram. Okay. And this is about 25 grams. Wow. On the outside of this is fruit, a fruit layer, very special fruit layer, which we can get into in a second. So when he reached out, I started doing the nutritional stuff, and then he sent me some. And as you know, when you taste them, you're like... It's instant, dude. You're like, like, this tastes like something that I'm already recognizing. Yeah. So, so now I'm seeing nutritional data, you know, empirical stuff that other people have done. So I'm like, okay. And then I'm seeing, I'm tasting these things. And I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, what are you guys wanting to do? Well, we're, you know, we can import this from Brazil. And, you know, and what do you think? You think American, you think there's a shot or whatever, if anyone's going to know or want to do it, it's you. And so I met with them. One of them was living in San Diego. Uh, so he cruised up and I said, well, we can't create a deal because I, I have to go see. Because there's no way, there's no, I can't, I'm not going to do anything until I go see. You have to get the story behind it. I have to see if this is even viable. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no fields of this that people are planting. It doesn't exist. So this is a wild food? Wild collective. Oh, that's amazing. That's like amazing. How, how much exists that you can actually have. Yeah. Well, when you have the land mass the size of three t- states of Texas, but you also have forest devastation in a, in a, in a way that is faster than anything almost we've seen in a biome so 50 to 70 percent of it has been destroyed in only 40 years it's being destroyed aggressively with cattle grazing and then food for cattle corn soy things like that and it's sad i've driven through it you're like that's thrashed and that's a beautiful biome and it's like a line that was just created so anyway Flew down there, started looking around, started meeting all the players. Like I said, here we go now. I'm meeting everyone. I'm having the interviews. I'm meeting guys that have been in it for the from the beginning, the processors, the indigenous people that were driving thousands and thousands of kilometers, right? Uh, trying to do everything possible to get as many angles as possible. And I come back on, well, I don't know how many trees exist. And you can't plant trees because you won't know that they will produce or until for 15 years. So how many trees exist and is there a population? So we're getting kind of hit and miss information. People are making stuff up. We've talked to guys doing their thesis in Brazil on the Barroseta tree. So, okay, do you know how many? Well, I think it's this much and this guy says that much. And so we came back and I was like, I'm the help. I don't know how much I can get it fully engaged, but the more I did and the more I saw people enjoying it, like, and the more I started learning, the more tests we were doing to validate everything, I was like, there's no way I can turn this away. It tastes too good. It's the nutrient profile is ridiculous, right? So you're getting all the amino acids. How, how do you get that in a freaking nut or seed? Yeah. It doesn't exist. Like maybe one other one, I think maybe it's a cashew. It's close. You have a third less fat calories than it. So the nutrient density of the caloric amount that you're taking in is even greater. You have 374% using your little almond as the 
as the jump off point, you have 374% more antioxidants than an almond. So you're getting this massive antioxidant uptick. Magnesium, which is something we, we all lack. Iron is something. There's two, two biggest micronutrients that most people lack is iron and magnesium. So that has a huge amount. One serving is a third of your daily requirements of magnesium. And then you also have now this fiber. So you have a third more, three times, excuse me, three times more fiber than any other nut. So you're like, what the hell? So it's promoting the good, healthy biome while giving this micronutrient-rich antioxidant, high fiber, high protein, complete protein, while it's directly supporting tens of thousands of families that have to go and collect it. You can't pick it. It has to fall. Wow. It has to fall. Crazy. Because it is producing that deeply rich, mana-rich nut, and it's only complete when it falls. When these fall, I'm have this this the whole uh, fruit back in my hand. When these fall, are they a soft fruit at, no. at any point? No. no. It's and like so it's you, like a, you have to use some kind of hydraulic press or yeah, something to so get a, this out of so here. So it's a good thing that you brought that up. So I mean, because you, you look at one of these and you're like, I'm not getting anything out of that unless I have a massive sledgehammer. I have a sledgehammer, I have a rock, I have a machete. That's how they've done it. Or thousands of years ago, you know what they did? They took a handful of them and at night when the fire was going down, they took a whole bunch, threw it on the fire. And in the morning, they were roasted inside, gotten rid of all the anti-nutrients and then crack, crack it wide open. That's how they consumed it. And, uh, the, and that's not on the Google search. That's when you find out and you're talking to guys that have studied it and all that stuff. And that's a beautiful thing. Again, like I couldn't have found that out by studying, right? So that was a big thing that traditionally now they're cracking them with the machetes, carpal tunnels, and like it's horrible. So now we've spent, it's been about three years. We've spent a lot of time, money, and resources and infrastructure and collecting systems, and we've purchased and became partners with one of the facilities down there and upgraded the whole thing and brought in HACCP uh, protocols and then invested in, in engineers around the world to develop the only technology that could crack these open because other nut technology doesn't work. The shapes are different. The, it's way too difficult. Uh, and then also the late discovery was when I saw, and this is a funny thing that I was going to tell you before we were filming, when I saw the fruit that when a guy had this and had it in storage for over five years, and it was no different than the one that I just picked up, you know what happened in my head? What is going on in a fruit layer that is not breaking down in five years? years <laughs> that's crazy dude so then i'm like well it has to be rich fruit the trees make to me is basically back it's bacteria food yeah i mean any fruit that falls to the ground within sure. 24 40 hours and listen, start if, to... if those are on the ground and rain it's gonna eventually break down and then a tree would may or may not grow right, right? so but when you have one in storage and it's sitting there exposed to the elements and maybe in a bag or a sack in the in the warehouse so then that goes, okay, well, there has to be antioxidants. There has to be vitamin C, vitamin E, antioxidants. There's got to be a lot of fiber because that's, that stuff is amazing in there. 
And so, and I tasted it, I'm like, okay, that's really good and sweet, but there's tannins in it. So we tested it all and no one's doing it. So in the car on the way home, I'm like, there has to be something. So I started shaving these with a knife and getting a bunch of it. So the second trip to Brazil, I ended up coming back with this shaved fruit and then we got it tested. And then that's now, whenever this is launched, the Kickstarter that we had, that is the launch of our perfect alchemy of the fruit from the outside, which is shaved, boiled, shaved, and dried, added back to the nut. And now you have exponentially more micronutrients, exponentially more antioxidants with this little touch. That's so cool. Yeah. So, That's so cool. So then, so now we're aggressively finding the machinery to crack it and speed up the process. And we're just now ratcheting it up with, with a consumer, uh, a consumer that just completely falls in love with it. And that's, that's I mean, that's why I'm so into it. And I wanted to make sure that we covered that. I mean, obviously it's your latest venture and you want to cover it too, but it's like, if I, I'm not sure if I have these on my site in the food section, but if I don't, I will soon and people can find them there or on um on your site you can buy them direct right yeah so barucas.com or or on amazon and then you'll have whatever promo code you have cool yeah they're just you guys honestly if you have to try them it's insane especially plant-based people man because like i said when i was a vegetarian it's like okay i'm pretty much sick of almonds you know and every almond cheese and almond milk and whatever this is like and for people that have peanut allergies or that just like me, it just doesn't agree with you. This is like the best roasted, you know, when you get the one good peanut that's roasted just perfectly, it just has that perfect smoky profile. That's how everyone in every bag, and there's no bunk ones either. If you eat peanuts, sometimes you get a really rancid right. one. These are all uniformly the same and delicious. So I'm just, I'm stoked for you, dude. Well, we and put a lot of time in uniforming and upgrading yeah, the, and the, the roasting too is just like perfect. Yeah. The taste is amazing. So thank you. Yeah. For that. So congratulations on finding a really a cool discovery. Yeah. Because there's every few years some like when the when I first saw the Sacha Inchi nuts, this is just a few years ago I started seeing that. And they I think the same guy still sells them. Then this clear jar, like a big mason jar. And I got those. I was like, these are different. This is unique. And it just seemed to have come out of nowhere. Meanwhile, across the globe, there's somewhere where indigenous people have been eating this since the beginning of time. So it's really, it's cool that this is kind of like your crown jewel of the moment. It's beautiful. So dude, you've taught me a lot today. You've taught the audience a lot. Who have been three teachers in your life that you'd like to share with us that we might be able to go learn from? Oh man. Well, I'd say Dr. Michael Balk, the guy that I brought, a great ethnobotanist. This guy, he's dead. Uh, now, unfortunately, uh, from Boulder, Colorado, Dr. Anderson was one of the first. He was the guy that was running to the medical journal, uh, medical library, and giving me information. Really, kind of sparked something that I didn't even know I had the desire to do this. And you know what? I got to say, uh, recently, I was able to sit down and talk to and hang out with Dr. Dean Ornish. Oh, cool! Uh, so, doing a lot of research and a lot of peer-reviewed stuff and so we hung out for a bit and so it's, it was fun to to hit and actually i'll throw in dr uh, walter longo so him and i have been chatting uh, he's one of the top uh longevity scientists um you should get him on the podcast he's a great great guy uh italian guy and really bright 
So yeah, there's a few, but there's a lot. There's a long list, man. And all and all, really all the shamans and the teachers and the indigenous people that have, you know, opened their hearts to me and allowed me to to do a few of these things. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing all that. And where can people find uh, your websites and social media and anything like that? Yeah, so currently superlife.com. We're going to be redoing it the first of the year with some other uh, surprises. I got some really big projects happening in the next year. Some stem cell stuff that I've been working on for three years. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll we'll come back. Cool. Okay. That's going to be a really fun discussion. Good. That's going to be some bomb dropping on that one. Nice. And Super Life Living on all social media platforms. So, yeah, I'm I'm poking around a little bit, but I'm I'm focused on some projects right now. so, So I haven't been aggressively staying on the social media well we'll come back and uh when the next iteration or the next discovery comes out yeah sounds good thanks brother appreciate it all right you guys we did it we made it through another episode of the lifestylist podcast as requested earlier in the intro if you'd like to share this with a friend i would highly appreciate it help me hit that goal of two million downloads by the end of 2018 got a couple months to do so we're only a couple hundred thousand downloads to go And with your help, you will uh, definitely uh, allow me to reach that goal. It's not really for any reason other than just personal accomplishment and feeling like I did 2 million in two years. So we're getting there. Some podcasts, as I said, do 2 million in two months. I mean, you know, that's the upper 0.001 percentile of the most popular podcasts in the world probably, but um, that's where I want to be. So you can help me get there. Also a reminder, um, you probably wanted to check out these uh, Baruka nuts that we talked about in the episode. You can do so by going to barukas.com forward slash Luke. That's spelled B-A-R-U-K-A-S, barukas.com forward slash Luke. If you enter the code Luke at checkout, you'll save 15% off. And I highly recommend that you try these things out. They are so freaking delicious. It's insane. In fact, I can't even keep them in the house because I just plow through them and... uh, I don't know. It gets expensive. All right. Uh, I'd also like to thank our official sponsors this week, Tonic Wellness Boutique. You can go to tonicwellnessboutique.com to learn all about the services that they offer. Uh, They're right here in the middle of LA. If you're traveling to LA, you definitely want to get into Tonic Wellness. Uh, Do their infrared saunas, do their spot cryo, do their cryo skin if you want to get rid of a little unwanted fat here and there. Uh, You can do their full body cryo. It's a really great place for beauty, biohacking, and rejuvenation. Tonic Wellness Boutique. That's tonicboutique.com. And then our old buddies at Four Sigmatic. I mean, come on. Like on the daily, we're all taking that stuff by now, right? If you haven't heard, here's the word. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story. If you enter the code Luke Story, they're going to give you 15% off your order. You get some medicinal mushrooms, some herbs, all kinds of good stuff over there. And then Juve, I spent the weekend with my Juve device over at Mercado Sagrado, blasting people with some red light therapy. And if you go to juve.com forward slash Luke and enter the code Luke at checkout, you're going to get a special surprise free gift. So that's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. Juve.com forward slash Luke. The code is Luke to get yourself some red light therapy. Next week's episode, whoa, I didn't even realize that until I'm reading my notes here. Next week's episode is the biohacking superpower of red light therapy with the guys from Juve. There you go. Number 169 coming up next Tuesday. And I try to explain photobiomodulation to people and it's pretty geeky stuff, but it's had a huge impact on my life. I do it every day. Literally this morning I got up, I stood in front of my Juve for 10 minutes. I set the timer and that helped me get powered up to go with the rest of my day. 
So that's next week. And then we've got events coming up. Whitma Live, New York City, October 25th. Rama, New York City, a special workshop I'm presenting there on October 27th. And then back in LA for the Neil Strauss Biohacking Intensive, December 14th and 16th, or sorry, 14th through 16th. That's what that little dash means. And you can find my events at lukestory.com forward slash events. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day, evening, wherever you are in the world, whatever time it is. Do your damn thing. Be free. Live the life that you deserve. And I'll see you next week on the Lifestylist Podcast. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.